We have been immensely blessed this morning by the musical gift shared to lead us in worship. I'm grateful to our chancel choir, to Don, Katie, and Bellissimo, and our carol choir this morning. Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to Matthew, and I invite you to stand as you're able in body or in spirit in honor of the reading of the gospel. Hear these words from Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. There was a parable circulating around the, the rabbis uh, about this time, about the time of Jesus. Uh, I have no idea if Jesus knew about this parable. It would make sense. If he did, they are fairly similar. Um, but it goes like this. A king had many laborers, but one was an unusually good worker. The king permitted him to work for two hours, and then he let him off. And when he gave him the same pay as the others, his answers to any who objected was this, this man has done more in two hours than you've done the entire day. (laughs) So what's the moral of that story? You work hard and you get rewarded for it. And that that feels right. That feels better than the one we just read. That's much more suited for the real world for 21st century U.S. capitalist economy than the story that Jesus told. I mean, Jesus' parable doesn't really even make sense now or in the first century. You can't pay people the same amount for the same work when their hours are different, when some work more and some work less. That's just not how it works. Not unless Jesus is advocating for some different kind of economy or some alternative pay scale or a a new standard for employee compensation. But I don't think Jesus' primary point has to do with those things. I think he'd probably have a lot to say about those, those things, but I don't think that's his primary point. 
I think Jesus is trying to tell us something about God's economy, about our worth, and about a core value that we should be using to measure our lives. And that core value is this, enough. Enough. A chapter before our passage, Jesus meets a rich young guy who has done well by God and by others. He's worked hard, he's kept the commandments of God, and it appears that the only thing between him and eternal life are his resources. Jesus tells him that to get closer to God, he needs to reallocate some of his riches. He needs to sell all of his possessions and give them to the poor. And you remember what he does, right? He walks. He can't do it. And I think, I think he's just in that. After all, he's worked hard for his money, for his stuff. He deserves what he has worked hard for, right? And after all, it's his. And as the rich young guy walks away, Jesus comments to those around him that it's pretty hard for a rich person who has more than enough to get into heaven. In Jesus' kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. Eugene Peterson calls this part of God's great reversal. Jesus is showing people, in fact, that there is a different universal economy at work, one that we have previously known nothing about, and it doesn't operate according to how we do things. It doesn't operate according to supply and demand, or at least in in dollars and cents. It operates with different rules, with rules that are counter to those that we are all loyal to, rules about who gets what and having more than enough. And one rule in this great reversal is that more than enough of something makes a life with God complicated. Why? Because if you already have more than enough, why would you ever need God? Not long after the rich man walks away, Jesus tells us about the manager who goes out early. He recruits some workers at a set rate. He tells them ahead of time, this is what you're going to get. They agree. A little bit later at nine, the manager sees some other guys hanging around the town square and they're unemployed. So he says, if you go work in my vineyard, I'll pay you, and it'll be fair. It'll be a just wage. So they go. The manager goes out at noon, same thing, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., same thing. Why are you standing around doing nothing? Well, no one's hired us, they say. Well, then come and work for me. I'll pay you what's fair. And I I love that image of this manager going out again and again to the marketplace for the sake of employing as many as he can. He's trying to find more and more workers all day. He doesn't want anybody to be left without a job. So he goes out and he seeks as many as he can find. It's an example to me of a God who pursues us, who seeks us. John Wesley had a word for it, provenient grace. God seeks us before we seek God. And it also kind of reminds me of the shepherd who leaves 99 to seek out the one lost sheep so he can keep them all together. It reminds me of the father who runs out to embrace his long lost son after he's been gone for so long. Of course, after the manager has found all the vineyard workers, the early hires are mad that those hired later are paid the same amount because it is unjust. It's not fair. You can't pay the same amount to each party, even in the first century. Oh, and by the way, good luck to the vineyard manager finding workers the next day. I'm sure if he went back to the market square, I'm sure everybody would say, yeah, just come back a little bit later this afternoon, (laughs) maybe around five. (laughs) 
But Jesus isn't getting into the weeds with all this stuff. This is a parable about how God, how much God values you and me and all of us. This is a parable that demonstrates the heart of God's grace-based economy. Jesus does not determine or judge our value by what we earn or the hours we work, by how productive we are or how high up we are on the totem pole, but simply because we are. This parable is meant to direct us toward what God thinks of us. And we're to set aside what our parents think about us, what our colleagues think about us, what our friends think about us, what our enemies think of us. And we are to pay attention to what God thinks of us. And what does God think of us? Henry Nouwen said it this way, the great message that we have to carry as followers of Jesus is that God loves us not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God has created and redeemed us in love and has chosen us to proclaim that love as the true source of all human life. And friends, that should be enough for us. That's the heart of this parable. The kingdom of God is like a vineyard manager who finds as many workers as possible, especially the ones who don't have any work and pays them each a day's wage, which turns out to be enough. It's enough. Anne Lamott writes in her book, Stitches, about how to process life in the midst of tragedy. And she says the equation in those situations becomes life, death, resurrection, hope. The horror is real, she says, and so you make casseroles for your neighbor, you organize clothing drives, you do your laundry. We live stitch by stitch when we're lucky. But she also says that in those things, in those times, through others and through silence and through little reminders, God is still with us and gives us grace enough. Grace enough to get by and grace enough to put one foot in front of the other. And she says that grace, even the smallest bit of grace, is enough. Knowing the value that God has placed on my life is enough. And Jesus says that whether you started in from the beginning or you've recently joined in, there is grace enough for you. I was walking with my sister yesterday and her almost two-year-old nephew, Crosby. I don't know if I've talked to you about him yet. Um, They came to stay with me this weekend, and it was up to me to babysit him yesterday in the evening. But we were walking around town, Noonan, uh, downtown Noonan into the Gillyweeds yesterday. And in the back right corner of Gillyweeds, I don't know if you all have seen this, but they've uh, kind of cultivated a really nice baby section with books and stuffed animals. And so as this is of recent concern to me, we know that it's there. And uh, there was back there a sign that read simply, just enough grace for today. <laughs> I got a preview last night as my sister and brother-in-law were gone and I was uh, expected to put Crosby down to sleep, uh, just what that prayer means. <laughs> and I prayed it. <laughs> After an hour of screaming, I prayed, God, just enough grace for today. <laughs> What a, what a significant preview that was. I believe, though, in that prayer. I really do. I believe that there is just enough grace for today. I believe there is enough for today and for tomorrow and for the next day. There's a guy named Tulian Chivijan who is a grandson 
of Billy Graham, and he wrote a book. I haven't read it. I just like the title. I think the title gets at the point better than I can. Here's the title. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's a hard message for us to hear, I think. Because in, the, in, in this world, often we have more than enough. More than enough food, clothes, money, everything. While at the same time, we're told that we don't have nearly enough by every single ad that we see. You got to have more. And when we have more of whatever is being advertised to us, then we might finally have enough. We're promised that, but we never do. And all the while, in the midst of the noise, God is there trying to find all the workers he can and to tell us that we are already enough. We are valued at the highest price. and We have already been offered a grace from God that is enough. Even if it's just enough, it's still enough. Pastor Leslie Weatherhead talks about a time he needed a break. He was busy. There were lots of meetings. He couldn't get his head on straight. So he was a pastor in London, and he went to a Quaker community north of London to take some time off, to take a brief vacation. And he says, one September morning, he said, I got up at a quarter to seven. I walked through the kitchen garden, up through the orchard where the owls were still crying, through the gate and into a meadow, but not only into a meadow, into a great silence. It was in the meadow that I met God, he says. The ground was drenched with dew, and it looked as if it were covered with frost. The sun was peeping over the horizon, throwing long shadows on the grass. It was an hour of bewitching loveliness. Magic was in the air and awe in my heart. I had that strange impression, which probably you have had many times, that I was being allowed to be present, just as God had concluded the creation of the world that I was seeing the world all new and fresh from his hand. There was a solemn hush which seemed to fall over the whole field and everything in it. In a way, he says, it was a strange experience. And you don't plan such hours. You don't plan hours like that, hours of insight, when you go on a vacation. Yet at the end of that holiday, having done perhaps all the things you plan to do, you realize the thing that stands out most is an hour of silence when the soul was caught up in worship and allowed to behold part of the beauty and the grace of God. You know that God was near, that he was speaking to you, that he brought you to that hour and to that place in order to say things to you in the silence that otherwise you would not have stayed to hear. Hmm. It took a short, silent moment to remember God, to remember grace, and friends, that moment was enough. We operate in a world that sees grace as simple, sometimes silly, and material gain as the standard. And that often leaves us spinning our wheels day after day, never once thinking that the one in charge of the universe and everything in it might be playing a different game with a different set of rules. Preaching professor George Buttrick says it this way, the rewards of God are not according to what men think is their merit. God has God's own criteria. Marcus Borg says it like this, becoming and being Christian is like learning a whole other language. That's exactly what it's like. After all, this grace-based economy makes no sense to us because God doesn't ask how much can I get for the hour. Grace doesn't ask how much can I get for the hours and the effort. Grace just states this is already enough. There is already enough. 
A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Pursuit of God in the 40s, and in its, its preface, he admits that this book is really not that special. It's kind of an odd preface to begin a book you're about to read. He writes, nothing here is new, except in the sense that it is a discovery which my own heart has made of spiritual realities, most delightful and wonderful to me. Others before me have gone much farther into these holy mysteries than I have done. But if my fire is not large, it is yet real. And there may be those who can light their candle at its flame. What is he saying? He's saying, my life, my writing, my experience of God may not appear on TV. It may not be in a magazine. It may not be flashy or overly marketable. But the grace that God has shared with me is enough. And hopefully out of that enoughness, someone else just might find the same. So friends, may you live your life in such a way that you might know that the grace of God is enough. And it's the only enough that you need. Take that to heart. May God's grace be so enough that others might see it. Put down the rules and standards of this world and pick up the new rules, a new universal economy based on the grace of God even if it is just enough, it's still enough. Let us pray. Gracious God, we're thankful that that is who you are, a God of grace. And we confess to you this morning, O oh God, that we live our lives sometimes in the way this world would have us do it according to its calendar, its schedule, its rules. God, I ask this morning that you would stir in our hearts, that you would help us to know that there is already enough, that your grace is already enough. Be with us now, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen.